Yes, so I have been told I have roughly 30 minutes or so, um, but I'm, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that the mic's in my hands. <laughs> no, um, I will try to keep it to that. In Germany, I, I still preach with a translator. Um, I'm, my German is coming very well, but it's not fluent enough for me to feel confident preaching in it. So I work with a translator, so I'm used to having to stick to some pretty tight timelines. But um, Holy Spirit has taken a whole new role in my life in Germany, and I have learned to listen and obey. So if he has stuff on his heart to deposit in you this morning, the clock will be irrelevant to me. So I'm apologizing in advance, but not really, because I want you to get everything that God has for you today. Oh, Father, I just thank you that you are present. <laughs> Wherever your sons and daughters are gathered in your name, you are here and with us and present. So Jesus, we welcome you. We welcome you. We welcome you. I thank you that we are surrounded by ministering angels. I thank you that they are here to take the word as it goes out and to minister life and hope and healing and restoration, correction, discipline, whatever we need. And we say that we are willing to hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as Barry said, I now live in Germany. I've been there for three and a half years. And I started out in the far north at Equippers Flensburg. Has anybody met Simon Powell? Yeah. Yeah, yeah great, great guy. Wonderful to, to be able to serve under his ministry. I was, um, I was invited to be part of their eldership team, so I was able to really have some wonderful input into their church. But such strong apostolic leadership from Simon. I knew I wasn't going to be there for long, and I told him that. Um, and a year and a half ago, God sent me with a vision, uh, an open vision. He sent me to the center of Germany. And so I now live in what is the former East Germany, the capital city of, uh, of Turin. It's called Erfurt. And I live right almost geographically in the center of Germany. And in the last six months, revival has broken out. It's rather extraordinary to be a part of, but it's very messy. Revival sounds romantic, but it's actually quite messy. And what happened was, when I arrived in Erfurt, very quickly, Holy Spirit said, I want to establish my presence in the church. Now, I, was, I had been invited by a local church to come and, and work for them full time. I thanked them. I said, no. Um, um, I, I'm called to the whole church in Germany, not just one particular um, congregation. So I agreed to give them two years working part-time, giving them apostolic oversight. And so I am planted in a church locally, but I preach all over Germany and, and speak all over Germany. But after I had arrived there, Holy Spirit said, I want to establish my presence. And I thought, well, don't you do that? in every church, Lord. But it was so much more than that. Because in Germany, um, they are still suffering under the weight of their his history. And it's in the church as well. This, um, the heaviness of the sense of shame, and it carries into what they believe about God. It carries into what they believe about themselves. 
And so Holy Spirit needed to teach them about what it meant to actually experience his presence without shame. And so I asked if I could start a midweek worship night. We just call it Encounter. And uh, when they came, I had probably about 18 to 20 people that came that first Wednesday. And it wasn't just for our church. We, we hold it in a, an office building in town. And it was for anyone who wanted to come. But that first Wednesday, it was just the locals from the church I'm in who came. And they just assumed it was singing, worship. Now, we did have our worship leader there who was present and, and playing the piano, but she wasn't there to lead anyone else in worship. I had to explain to them, and this morning maybe I need to explain to some of you as well what it means. To come into the presence of God is an individual thing. Yes, we're here corporately as one body, but we stand alone before the God of heaven. We give account to him alone. And so we need to learn how to have this intimate connection to him that isn't dependent on anyone else's prayers, anyone else's faith, anyone else's relationship with God. You need to know how to connect with him yourself. So they came and sat in the room, and I explained to them, I want you to go into the presence of God. I want you to enter into the throne room, and I want you just to worship him. You're not here to ask for anything. You're not here to pray for anyone else or yourself. And when you sing, you're not following anyone else because they are having their own individual encounter with God. This is between the two of you. And in the first five minutes, it was great. And then as I observed people, they were getting kind of restless and sitting in their chairs. Some were standing. They didn't know what to do. For a whole hour, some of them sat there not knowing where to go from this. So it took a while. It took three to four months. But after the fourth month, we opened the door and Holy Spirit was waiting for us. We could feel his tangible presence as we walked in. There was a shift of atmosphere. It was the middle of the summer, and it's very hot in, in Erfurt in the summer. And we had floor-to-ceiling windows, a banquette that goes right across the whole office building. And, of course, middle of summer, it's lots of daylight. And we're oblivious now to the people that are constantly walking by. Glass, everybody can see everything we're doing. But the presence of God was so strong that some people are lying face down on the floor. And lot, we have a lot of university students, young people, that are just passionate. And they just uh, don't care what they look like. And they were spread eagle on the floor, just worshiping. Some were in the corner, just intensely praying individually. But everybody was in their own connection with God. And we just, just spontaneously started singing. Most of us singing in the spirit. And I had my, the, the door was actually open because we needed some airflow. And I'm standing and I'm just singing along. And our voices, I'm just thinking, wow, we've never sounded this good before. Just magnificent sound. And, and I suddenly realized, we're doing six-part harmony. Is that even possible? How do you do that? And I opened my eyes and I thought, there's angels in the room with us. And I'm looking around the room. Where are they? Where are they? And I could hear the sound. I'd close my eyes again, and it would just swell. 
And it was just, it was overwhelming, the presence of God in the room as we were joined by these angels. And it went in round and wave and wave. And about the third time, I kept opening my eyes because I wanted to see where they were. <laughs> I still didn't, I didn't see them, but I could hear where they were coming, what room they were, corner of the room they were coming from. And I opened my eyes and I saw out of the corner of my eye, there was somebody standing in the doorway. And he was head to toe in biker leathers and covered with tattoos underneath the leathers. And we have a, uh, there's about, uh, about a half a block away from this office where we meet, there's a train station. So he had obviously gotten off the train and he was passing by and he was standing in the doorway and the look on his face was so intense and he's looking right at me and his eyes were just locked on me and I just looked back at him smiled and went, come on in. And it was like somebody had put a cattle prod to him because he jumped back in shock. No, 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 no. I looked at uh, one of my leaders who was actually sprawled on the floor beside me and I asked her if she would mind going and talking to him because she's a native German speaker and I thought, I just want to make sure that there's good communication here. So she went outside to talk to him and she was with him for about 10 minutes um, and came back in and then a couple minutes later went back out again to talk to him. Anyway, at the end of our worship time, he never did come in, but at the end of our worship time, she came and told me what had happened. He had gotten off the train and he was really agitated. Agitated because there was a sound that was coming to his ears that he couldn't resist, that he couldn't ignore, but he hated it. He didn't want to follow this sound, but he did. And he followed it past the tracks and down the street and right up to the door and stood there, just completely frozen to the spot. He couldn't resist the sound that was coming out of our open door. And when Kirsten, my helper, had gone out to talk to him. She had invited him in as well. And he had said, no, no, I can't go in. And she said, why? Because I'll burn. I'll burn. And she said, why would you think that? You won't burn. God loves you. You're welcome to come in. No, 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 you don't understand. And he held his arm up. And what I had thought was a tattoo was a brand. At six years old, his parents, who were, one was a, his mother was a witch and his father was a satanic priest in the satanic church in that region. And they took each of their children when they turned six years old and dedicated them to Satan and branded them in their skin. And he had been raised to know the Bible. And he had been told if he ever attached himself to the Jesus of the Bible that he would burn. And he believed it, and he would not cross that threshold because he was in such fear. But he said he could not resist the sound that was coming out. The presence of the living God will draw people. They will draw people. But what was more powerful was it was because the door was open. We weren't hiding our sound inside the four walls of the building. And that's what Corona did for the church, or that it gave the church that opportunity. Whether the church has responded or not, that's another, another story. But God has been shaking the church. He didn't bring Corona, but he knew it was coming, and he knew it was time for the church to respond. We've been so safe inside our four walls, 
We've been so safe, loving each other, having community, building relationship with one another. But there's a lost world out there. There's a lost world that thinks Jesus wants to burn them up because of their disobedience, because of their wrong lifestyle, because of what they've done. And we have the sound. We have the sound of heaven in us. The kingdom in us. The spirit of God is to flow out of us into the world around us. And if we let the sound out, this is what happens. We don't even have to go to them. They come to us. They will be drawn to you because we're the city that's set on a hill. We're a light that is so bright that the world can't resist it. And boy, does the world need light. One of the problems is that the church has partnered with the fear. Church, greater is he within you than he that's in the world. You cannot... Be bound by your circumstances. At some point, you have to set your feet in the foundation, which is Jesus, and say, you know what? I actually believe you. I don't just believe in you. I believe you. You said that you would watch over me, that you are my shield and my protection. I don't have anything against face masks, but I just want you to know you've got a supernatural one. He is your shield and your protection. Don't partner with the fear. Partner with the truth. Partner with the truth. So I want to ask you, where is your hunger at these days? Your hunger for the, God, the presence of this beautiful, powerful God. It's not enough to come in together on a Sunday and cheer and jump and celebrate. That's wonderful, but that's just surface. We've got to go deeper, church, because I, the Bible tells us, I'm not saying anything you shouldn't already know, but it's going to get darker. The world around us and what's happening in the world around us is not just going to be wars and rumors of wars. It's going to continue because we are an end days church. That's the reality. So you need to have this living connection with the Spirit of God so that when everything is dark around you, you're the city set on a hill. You're the, the, the Jewish people in the land of Goshen when Egypt is under judgment. When the hailstones are coming, when the darkness is coming, when the plagues are coming, they're there surrounded by the presence of God while the rest of the world is experiencing judgment. Now, I'm not saying that we as the church won't experience hardship. That happens. But we have the one living in us, the greater one living in us who enables you to walk through those places and to provide hope for the world around you and that's what they need hope you need to be a hope bringer so I want to put up my first verse she's talking so much here <laughs> my first verse revelation 2 
I have this one charge to make against you. He's talking to the Ephesian church. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. You've deserted me, your first love. Remember then from what heights you've fallen. Repent. Repent and do the works you did previously when you first knew the Lord. Or I will visit you and remove the lampstand unless you change your mind and repent. You might think, yeah, but we're a, we're a wonderful, living, thriving church. You are. I know. I love this church. I love your pastors and their family. But so were they. This is the Ephesian church, which is held up by theologians as the most mature church in the New Testament times. And this is what God was saying about them. It's time to go deeper. It's time to remember that what was good enough before is not enough now. Yes, you have so much going for you, but there is more. And it's this first love connection. Do the works you did at first. I had the pleasure of meeting Josh's beautiful girlfriend. So weird to see this little guy with a girlfriend. For, for, for me, time hasn't changed, and suddenly he has. <laughs> But I know for sure, Josh, that you've had to work for this beautiful girl. <laughs> like, seriously, it wasn't an easy thing. You had to capture her attention, and then you had to work. <laughs> the nature of love relationships is pursuit. Right? Jesus pursued you, and he pursues you every day. Holy Spirit pursues you every day. Come, talk to me. Come away with me, my beloved. Read the Song of Solomon. Oh, my goodness, he's so deeply, passionately in love with you. Come away with me. And he's waiting for you to respond to his pursuit. But he wants to be pursued, too. It's no fun when it's just one-sided. You don't feel valued when it's just one-sided. What did you do at the beginning? When I first got saved, I remember, first of all, just the sense of euphoria. <laughs> I literally, I thought I was floating above the ground by at least a foot all the time for probably about three or four months afterwards. It was the strangest feeling, just lightness, constant lightness. I realized it was the weight of my sin, my shame, my guilt, everything that I'd had before. That's what happens when he lifts your sins off you, when you, when you ask for forgiveness, this wonderful freedom that comes. And then I felt this crazy hunger for reading the Bible. I'd stay up till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, completely unaware of what time it was. And I'd be looking at the words on the page, and it was like they were in 3D. They jumped off the page. I'm like, whoa, this is so amazing. The revelation was just coming one after the other after the other. I was so hungry. In the first year that I knew Jesus, I read the Bible cover to cover three times. I was so hungry to know this God who had come into my life. He wants to be pursued. 
in the same way that he pursues us. And he says, sorry, could you put that back up, the scripture back up, Nate? The Revelation, thank you. He says, do the works you did when you first knew me. That passion, that childlike faith that just believes it, that courage to tell other people about what God's just done for you. You're not ashamed. You're, you're just so overwhelmed by what's happened. You got to tell somebody. Going to church on Sunday and being excited about serving. Whatever it was when you first knew him, ask Holy Spirit to take you back to that memory and say, would you wake that up in me? Please, God, wake it up in me. I've somehow let this grow cold and I want to know what it is to have that first love passion again. Speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, this is how God puts it. Next verse, Nate, thanks. This is what the Lord says, I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago. How you loved me and you followed me even through the barren wilderness. He remembers the nature of your relationship, what it was when you first knew him, and he longs for it. He longs for you to realize, he says in the, sorry, Nate. <laughs> he says, even through the barren wilderness, we all have seasons where we feel kind of bored with our God walk or it's dry. Or maybe we're going through trials and, and it seems hard and God doesn't seem to be answering our prayers. And he's saying, I remember during those times, you still pursued me. You had a relationship and a connection with me that drove you to me regardless of your circumstances. The church has got to learn to do that again. Corona, as, as much of a struggle as it has been for so many of us, it should not have the power to separate you from the victorious walk that you're called to have with God. Jesus, in Galatians, the Bible says that he took the entire curse of the law on himself when he died on the tree. All of it. All of it. Corona comes under the curse. Remind yourself. Remind yourself of who he is and what that should mean to you. So why did you come to church this morning? And I know some of you are so sweet, and you'd say, oh, we came to see you, Ingrid. <laughs> and that's really, really lovely, but I don't want to hear that. <laughs> because I should be the last reason that you come. We gather on Sunday for one reason. Because when we come together as believers corporately, there is power present. The Bible says when one can put a thousand to flight, two will put ten thousand to flight. 
So just think of the power that is present in this room right now. People full of the Spirit of God coming together to stand, to pray, to decree, to worship. There's power present. But most of us are sitting here defeated and unaware of just what kind of power is available to us. So we come on Sunday, or we should come on Sunday, to gather together with other believers for two purposes. One, to worship. And worship is not an emotional thing, although you do show emotions, but it's not an emotional thing. Worship is an understanding of the extravagance of what God has done for you who don't deserve any of it. And you stand in awe of this extraordinary Father and Savior and seek the presence of Holy Spirit and say, oh, let me give to you what you are due. I don't have enough in me. Holy Spirit, would you give me the words, give me the emotions, give me so that I can give to him what he is due. Glory, honor, worship, adoration. And you come into his presence and you give him this. The second reason that we come is to hear from heaven. All the other stuff we do in church is wonderful. It's the fellowship, the coffee times, the kids' ministries, all that stuff. It's so wonderful. It's a fruit of our giftings and that's wonderful. But the, if you look at the first church in the book of Acts, there's only two things they did. They worshipped and they listened to the word. They heard from heaven. And that's all we need. The other stuff is wonderful, but all we need is to worship and to hear from heaven. And as he imparts his word, the Bible says it will not come back void, but it will do exactly what it was sent to do. Because there's angels in the room. Isaiah says that the angels of the Lord are listening for the voice of his word so that they can hasten to perform it. Angels are waiting on your mouth to open up and with worship that comes from your heart to say, I want more of you, Jesus. I don't want emotions. I want connection with heaven. I want to walk in, in this place of revelation so that I can bring kingdom to the world around me. So when I ask you why you came this morning, I want you to ask yourselves honestly in your own hearts, Lord, do I even have that kind of a connection with you? Am I there yet? Or is this really about, I just want to have fellowship. I miss people. I want the company. Or am I driven by this desire to gather with other people who are as passionate about you as I want to be? David is the most beautiful example of passion in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel 6, we read this about him. It was reported to King David that God had prospered Obed-Edom. This is when the, the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen and it was away from Jerusalem for a while and then it was brought back. And this Obed-Edom had had the, the Ark in his property for a while and God was just blessing him because of its presence. So David thought, oh, well, I want to get the blessing for myself. I want the presence of God with me. 
So he went and he brought the chest of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, celebrating extravagantly all the way with frequent sacrifices of bulls. David, ceremonially dressed in priest's linen, danced with great abandon before God. The whole country was with him as he accompanied the chest of God with shouts and trumpet blasts. But as the chest of God came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, who was also David's wife, she happened to be looking out a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before God, her heart filled with scorn. David returned home to bless his family, but Michael, Saul's daughter, came out to greet him. Oh, how wonderfully the king has distinguished himself today, exposing himself to the eyes of the servant's maids like some burlesque street dancer. David replied to Michael, in God's presence, I will dance all I want. He chose me over your father and the rest of our family, and he made me a prince over God's people. Oh, yes, I will dance to God's glory more recklessly even than this, because as far as I'm concerned, I will gladly look like a fool. But among these maids you're so worried about, I will be honored. Wow. The presence of God was returning to Jerusalem. The Jewish people had become religious. We all do that. When the presence of God is not with us, when we're not seeking his presence and pursuing his presence, we become religious. We start making these little rules for ourselves of how we behave in church or don't behave in church and what we're supposed to look like, how we're supposed to talk, the words we're supposed to use. David says, nah, I'm willing to look like an absolute fool. I don't care what you think. I know who my God is. I'm not ashamed. I don't have to hide in the four walls of my church building. I'm not ashamed to say, praise the Lord. I'm so excited for you when I'm out with a friend. I'm not ashamed to see someone's pain and go and walk up to them and say, can I pray for you? I can see you're in pain. I know this might sound weird, but do you mind? I can tell you from experience that when you approach people with compassion, you don't have to know who they are, but they will respond because the spirit of the living God is on you. They don't see you. They see, he, they see him in you. And David is saying, look, God chose me over your father's family, over my own family. He chose me for a reason. Why do you think that was? Because he was a worshiper. He wasn't just a warrior, but he was also a worshiper. And he did it with abandon. And we know by looking at his life how God blessed him. David was given leadership because of his passion for God was more important than the opinion of men. This morning, as we, as I wrap things up, I'm doing really well. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> I want to share a prophetic dream that God gave me a year ago. I've shared it in every church that I've ministered in in Germany because I believe it was a word for the German church. 
But it was, it's also a, a word for the church. I shared it. My, my son was married last year. Um, and when I was back in Canada, I took each of my children aside and I eyeballed them and I shared it with them because it's a word for the church today. And we need to know and hear it. But I was um, in my dream. I was driving in a car and it was pitch black outside. And I could see, looking through the steering wheel, that I was going really fast. I don't know what speed it was, but of course in Germany, you're used to driving fast on the Autobahn now. So, um, But I was going very, very fast, dangerously fast. And I was aware that I was driving on the edge of a precipice. There was a canyon going below me so far I couldn't see the bottom. There was just blackness everywhere I looked. And I could see little stones flicking off my wheels as it was just running the very edge, dangerously close to slipping off the edge of this precipice. And my hands were literally white from gripping the steering wheel. And I'm trying to turn to the right, or to the left rather, to get away from the danger on the right, but I can't. And instead, I'm accelerating even faster. And my heart is just pounding out through my chest with such fear. I can feel this, this how I'm riding the edge of this, this great danger. And then I, I wake up. Only I wasn't awake and real. I woke up, and over me, I see Jesus' face. And you remember in... The Gospels, where it writes how his experience in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he took John and Peter and Simon, and they came aside with him, and he asked them to pray, but they fell asleep. And then he comes, and he leans over and shakes them awake and tells them to wake up. Well, his face was right over my own face, and he's shaking me. And he says, wake up, wake up. And then I did wake up for real. And I was sh my whole body was just shaking. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I rolled off the bed onto my knees. And I'm like, God, what are, you, what are you telling me? And I grabbed my notebook. And I just started writing everything that I had seen. And I just sat and I prayed in the Holy Spirit, okay, what do you want to reveal to me? And he took me immediately to the story of the ten virgins. Where they had fallen asleep waiting for their bridegroom to come. And when they heard this wake up, five of them had their lamps full of oil and they were able to go on their journey and meet him. But the other five only had their lamps half full. And they tried to beg from the others, please give us some of yours, but of course there wasn't enough. And so they had to leave to try to get their lamps refilled and of course, we know that they didn't have enough time. By the time they filled their lamps, the door was closed. The bridegroom had come and they were left out. The church, the global church, this isn't just the German church. The church is in this precipice moment. We've had a great shaking as God is trying to make us aware of our desperate need for intimate connection to him. It's like a life vest when you go down. 
You need something to keep you afloat when there's danger all around you. And yes, we know Jesus. We have a relationship with him. But there was a reason Jesus said, it's better for me that I should go because I will then send for you your helper, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to lead you into all truth. We need to have a connection to him to navigate the days that we are in. And that only comes by your hunger and pursuit of God. You cannot take Holy Spirit for granted. You cannot think that coming into a building on a Sunday morning and, and, and saying, hi, we're happy to be here. It's wonderful, but that won't cut it. You have got to have yourself full. A half full lamp will not get you anywhere. You need to be full. You need to be full. So this morning, who's on the keyboards this morning? Thank you, Matt. Thank you. So this morning, I just have one challenge for you. We are all the Ephesian church. We all know him. We all love him. We all want to please him. But somewhere along the line, our priorities have shifted. And he isn't the first in our line of importance. Our jobs are more important. Our kids are more important. Our ambitions are more important. Our hobbies, our own desires. We have allowed other things to take the place of passion. And he's no longer our first love. And he is saying, return, return. Because the lampstand, it's a finite thing. Your lamp, if it's not full, there will come a moment when you're not ready. And I have no desire to make anyone afraid and into making a decision. But we are the body of Christ and we need to walk in the fear of the, God, of the Lord. We need to remember who he is. We need to remember who he is. And he needs to come first. And that means whatever your desires are, whatever your passions, whatever your needs, your wants, when you seek him first and his righteousness, all that other stuff will be taken care of. Return to a kingdom culture. Return to a culture that says, I seek you first. You are more important. I will give you what is your due. I will give you honor. I will give you praise. I will give you worship because of all you've done for me and I expect nothing in return. I don't deserve anything in return, but somehow you give it anyway. So I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give you the praise that, oh, I want to go out with my friends. Oh, I feel like sleeping in this morning. Oh, I don't want it. I could go on and on. There's always distractions. But we take God's mercy for granted. And he's saying, it's enough, church. It's enough. The fear of the Lord needs to return to the church. And if you want to see signs and wonders, if you want to see revival break out the way it's happening in messy old Erfurt, I mean, I've got a group of 30 evangelists that are the age of these guys here. Four times a week, they're out on the street. 
for three, four hours. They sit on the steps of our cathedral for half an hour praying and seeking God. Give us a word of knowledge. Show us, Lord. And they get pictures of a, of a park here or some guy with a hat and a red jacket. They get these pictures. Okay. And then two by two, out they go looking for that very thing they've seen. And they come back like the disciples did having led dozens of people to the Lord right there in the middle of the street. And I'm right in downtown Erfurt, this big city. And people, tourists everywhere, and they're leading them to Jesus, laying hands on and seeing them filled with the Holy Ghost. There was this guy who was from Thailand, couldn't speak a word of German, couldn't speak a word of English. But these kids had been told by Holy Spirit that he needed to be healed. And so they went up to him and used sign language and asked him, you know, you're back, you're back. And yeah, yeah, he was shocked that they knew what was going on. They laid hands on him and asked him if he felt better. And he started moving like this and his eyes looked like massive saucers. He pulled his coat off and underneath he had a full body brace on his body. And he had scoliosis in his spine. He took this thing off, threw it up in the air and was dancing around this. These are people your age. Because the Spirit of the living God is just waiting. He is waiting for us to take our eyes off ourselves, off our own passions, our own desires, and seek Him first. Because as we seek Him, as we make Him our priority, all the other stuff that you're wishing for, dreaming for, hoping for, seeking after, He'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. But that shouldn't be your motive. Your motive should be, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful who you are and who you have made me to be and what you have done for me. All I can do is worship you. And out of that place of worship, out of that filling of his presence in your life will flow the issues of life. The issues of life, which is the spirit of God alive in you. So I want you to stand up, please. I've lived for three years and, and ministered in a country and in churches that carry a very disproportionate amount of shame. And God is setting them free completely. The, the way the Germans respond is just extraordinary. says in Romans 8 that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit when you partner with the world's way of thinking when you partner with the flesh you feel condemned you think oh I can't go to church I did this or I haven't been there for ages and people will look at me and you're partnering with a worldly way of thinking you're partnering with the flesh but 
when you don't walk according to the flesh, but you walk according to the Spirit, when you allow the Spirit of God to be the one that feeds your thinking and renews your mind and cleanses you from the inside out, you realize that's the liar talking. I don't believe those lies anymore. I've been delivered from that. I've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's own dear son. I'm a, I walk in the light as he is in the light. Those are lies. I reject those lies. I reject those lies. Then suddenly it's like clouds part and, the, and light can shine upon those dark places in you where you've believed lies, where you've partnered with lies and you don't realize it. And yes, church, that means... Christians do need to be delivered. It happens because we partner with a lie. We bring it alongside ourselves. We, we become deceived into believing something that isn't true and then we act that way. So this morning, I want to invite everyone here. I want you to take a minute and I want you to go in and I want you to ask Holy Spirit, search me, search me, Lord. Search me. And if there is any way in me where I have partnered with any ungodly way of thinking or behaving, if I have received lies and been deceived, I don't even know I've been deceived, show it to me. Bring it to my attention, God. Just do that right now. Just go in and ask Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Thank you. there is only one response that we can have when God reveals these things to us. There's only one thing we can do. I tell my children when I was raising them, I said, you know, the most powerful position in, in a relationship is the position of the one who apologizes. Even when you're not at fault, that's the most powerful position is when you say, I'm sorry. Because it gives you all the power. When you say, it's my fault, then you get to be the one to bring about whatever solution is needed. And that might seem weird to you. You might think, no, that doesn't sound right. But all we have to do is look at Jesus. He took the blame and he was blameless. He took the blame. So I'm going to say to you this morning, church, you got to be like David. you got to enter into this with abandon. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what position you have in the church. It doesn't matter. All that matters 
is that you are standing before a holy God and he has revealed to you areas where you have partnered with the flesh, with the world, and we need to repent. That's our response. We need to repent. So all across the room, regardless, just everybody, just keep this between you and heaven. This is between you and heaven. I just want you where you're at. I want you to kneel. I want you to get on your knees before God and say, in your own words, just between you and him, oh God, forgive me that I have not made you first, that somehow you have slipped from this position, this place. Forgive me, forgive me, wherever you are, wherever you are, Lord God, search me, Holy Spirit. Search me, search me. Forgive, forgive, forgive and cleanse. Forgive and cleanse, Lord God. Forgive and cleanse, Lord God. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. He's just, there's, there are ministering angels just moving throughout the aisles. They're moving. They're moving. I can see them moving around the back of the room. They're just creating atmosphere. Enter into it. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Recognize. Recognize where you have put something else before Him. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord God, I just pray for everyone that is here this morning. I lift them before your throne. And I ask you, Father, to honor the humility of those who have bowed the knee before you. And I ask you to let them be a first fruit in a fresh anointing that comes upon Equippers Church. I ask you to let them be the first fruit of a harvest of passionate Jesus lovers who are completely oblivious to the censure of the world, but instead are seekers of kingdom culture, who are seekers of a deep and an intimate connection with you. I ask you to honor that, Holy Spirit, honor that and cause a fresh fire to rise up within them, Lord, and let them see fruit, much fruit, much fruit. I ask for revival in Colchester. Oh, I ask for revival in Colchester, Lord. I thank you. I thank you for this people set apart by you, called by you, world changers. Thank you, Father. Thank you. holy moment. Lord, we choose to put you first. 
Come on, church. It's a heart decision we choose. Lord, I pray that this wouldn't just be a moment on a Sunday, but this would marinate. That you would cause lifestyle change, priority shift, and Jesus to be glorified. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And all God's people said, should we take a moment to say thank you for that great ministry?